You know, with the world sometimes is so full of sadness and sorrow and darkness, loneliness and guilt and shame and pain. You flip on the news, you think about those in your family or community, relationship struggles, financial struggles. Things are dark at times. And so for there to be a season where we talk about joy and happiness, sometimes it's overwhelming. It seems like a fantasy. And that's what sometimes why people like the idea of Christmas and the idea of Christmas movies is all about fantasy. Everything's perfect in the Christmas movies, isn't it? Everything goes right, and it always turns out just glistening. That's not how life is. Life is full of sad, dark moments and sorrow while we're here. And so then we come to a Christmas hymn that says, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And so some might wonder and go, well, what happened? Because he'd arrived, joy to the world was supposed to have happened, wasn't it? Where is it? Where's that joy? Because there's so much sadness and darkness. In your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, there's the announcement that Paul had read. The announcement of the angel to the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 10 and 11 is where it's found. But the angel had said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, the reason you don't need fear, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So don't fear. In this moment, they would have been trembling. Don't fear, because I bring you good news of great joy. And that great joy will be for all of the people. Great joy was the announcement. Great joy had come. It was in a person, namely Christ the Lord, this baby who would be called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The announcement was, don't fear. There is good news. Good news. In the midst of what maybe have been bad news. Good news. Great joy. What was it? That there was just a man who would come with strength? Who would make things all better for you? Who who would turn your family situation around or turn your sadness into a, a smile that's not fake or put on for others? What was this good news of great joy that was found in this person, this baby that was arriving that we celebrate at Christmas time? This was long anticipated. This was long spoken about. Isaiah chapter 9 speaks of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, Jesus. Isaiah 9 says, speaking of Jesus, who is to come, says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with a joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. So, This coming Messiah, Jesus who was to come, was a bringer of joy. And then we sing at Christmas this song, exclusively at Christmas, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. 
We sing joy to the world. What's interesting about that hymn that we sing at Christmas exclusively, it was written by Isaac Watts, and he wrote it not based on the announcement of joy from the angel. He wrote it based on Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is exactly where Isaac Watts took the entire Psalm 98 and he reworked it and wrote joy to the world. Speaking of the announcement that these, this angel had made, that there would be joy. And what would this joy be? And what would it look like? And how would it unfold? And why would there be joy at all? Joy didn't arrive to these shepherds because all of a sudden their flock multiplied or because things got easier for them. Joy did not multiply to the nations because the wars stopped. Joys did not multiply to Mary and Joseph because their social situation just got a whole lot better. Where did joy come from and why did it multiply that we would sing joy to the world because the Lord has come? In Psalm 98, I'll I'll invite you to turn there so you can follow along uh, through the different parts of this uh, chapter of the Bible that where we get this song, Joy to the World. Because there we see, and it's so descriptive of why we would sing Joy to the World. And what's going to sing Joy to the World? To whom will we sing Joy to the World? In Psalm 98, the, the first verse of that hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, comes from verses 4 through 6 in Psalm 98 says this Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of a melody with trumpets and the sound of the horn make a joyful noise before the king the Lord There it's speaking of a joyful noise a song of praise Make a joyful noise to the Lord, who? All the earth is what it says in verse 4. All the earth. Earth, and then at the end of verse 6, where it speaks of, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. is exactly where these words come from, out of joy to the world. Joy to the world. Everyone, the world, is to sing joy. Joy. Let earth receive her King. We have a king who has come to not just conquer the problems in your life, not just conquer enemies here on earth, but a king who has come to conquer your greatest enemy, the sin within you, and all of its guilt and shame, and all that it does to affect your relationship with God now and eternally. The king has come to conquer that and to rule your heart and your life, not just for a moment, Not just when you bow down and say, I'm doing well as a citizen, but he will rule your heart forever. The king has come and with him comes joy. Well, even as we think about joy, what is it? Is it a fake smile? if, If this says that joy has come, if you receive the king, if you understand Jesus... If you receive him into your life and you live for him, does that mean you will always be smiling? Is that what it means that joy has come? Is that what it means when the Apostle Paul says, rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice. They always are smiling. Does it uh, try to say, uh, neglect the fact that there's sorrow in your life? 
Forget that there's pain and sadness. Ignore that difficulty. Is that what it means? To be having joy in the world? To be rejoicing always? Well, no, because what is joy but a deep-seated contentment? A deep-seated satisfaction with the king. It is one that is, it is assured and has confidence of what he has done and who he is. And that confidence is not shaken by your situation. Things may come and things may go. People love you and people hurt you. But does that impact who Christ is and what he has done? No, that's why joy is this satisfaction that remains. It is contentment. The Apostle Paul, the same one who said rejoice always, is the same one who said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Whatever the circumstance, I am content. That's where I have a satisfaction, an assurance, a confidence. I have a contentment because of him. Not because of what I see or what I experience or what I feel. But I know him. I believe him. I trust him. And he is changing me. He's changing my heart where joy is. That satisfaction is. That's why in Psalm 98 it says, make a joyful noise. Because that joy, yes, no, though not all the time produces a smile or a song, it does sometimes. When you realize that no matter what you're going through, the trial, the darkness, or the pain, that there is a God who is there, who is consistent, who loves you, not based on what you, how even you're responding to the pain. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to love you less because you don't seem to be having much faith right now. God never says that. Christ has come to love us, unite himself to us at all times. And that sometimes produces a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. When you come to realize what he has done for you, what his arrival has meant for you, that if you trust in him, you believe in him, that his death on the cross was sufficient for God to be satisfied for all the punishment for your sin. When you believe that, then joyful noise can flow and say, I don't know why. I don't know why God would ever look at me or pay attention to me or love me in any way. But I can rejoice. I can have contentment and satisfaction and confidence in what God has done no matter what changes around me. I have joy. And it produces a joyful noise. So in Psalm 98, the psalmist uh, is encouraging a song. Sing it out. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Sing it. And sing it from your heart. Don't just sing it because it's words. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Sometimes we just are so familiar with the words, they become mutters of our lips with no meaning in our heart. That's true of this song too. It's true of all songs we sing. Sometimes they just become meaningless. But this can have meaning. Joy to the world can flow from your heart, not just your lips or not just your memory. Joy to the world, the second verse of that hymn says, Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. The next part is, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Well, fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. 
Isaac Watts, upon writing that, suggests that the creation has a song of joy and it's repeating a sound of joy. It's celebrating who God is and what he has done. He gets that here, Psalm 98. Take a look at verses 7 through the end. It says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. So here it says, let the sea roar. Let the river clap their hands. The sound that they make, let it be a sound of praise to God. And even if it is just to reflect his creative power, even just to show the, the, the beauty of and the intricacy of God himself, let them sing. Let them sing. Let them make noise to the Lord. I love the account of Jesus when the Pharisees are trying to trap him, as always. And uh, he had been drawing near to the Mount of Olives in Luke chapter 19. says this, Already on the way to Mount of Olives, uh, Luke 19, 37 to 40, the whole multitude of the disciples, this is when he's coming into Jerusalem, okay? He's coming into Jerusalem. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered them, he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the creation. If these men and women were not singing praise at this time, you'd hear the, you'd hear the rocks crying out. Praise is due his name. I love how it actually says the disciples began to rejoice. Like an overflow of their satisfaction, an overflow of their assurance of all that they had seen and all that it meant. An overflow of that, the rejoicing produced praise to God. With a loud voice, it says, for all the mighty works they had seen. And they sang, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. This is Jesus, lowly, homeless, from a, a nobody family, riding on a donkey, who had been hurled insults at, who had this mob of people always trying to find a way to kill him. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And why do they say that? And why do they rejoice in it? Because of what they conclude next. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There is peace between us and God through him. And, and glory to God in the highest. God deserves all admiration and praise and affection. And we see it. He's here before us. He's on a donkey right here. And so they rejoiced and they praised him. And Jesus said, even if they didn't praise me, the rocks would. The rocks would cry out. And that is an echo here, even of the truth in Psalm 98. That the seas would roar, and the rivers would clap, and the hills would sing. And that's what Isaac Watts captures in that song we sing every Christmas. That let men's their song employ the fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. 
repeat the sounding joy. They sing it because they see him. The next verse of this hymn says, let, uh, No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Now it's interesting, some hymnals actually remove that verse. Because the, the repetition of the curse, and they maybe misunderstand it or don't like the idea that there has been a curse on this earth. The curse that we found in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of mankind when God said the, the ground will be full of thorns and your work will be hard and the serpent will reign. But here it says sins and sorrows will not grow anymore and thorns will not infest the ground anymore. He has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found in every element where the curses impacted and affected us, Christ will make it whole. Our sinful thoughts and temptations, the agony in the world, natural disasters, pain and sorrow everywhere we look, Christ will make it all right again. And he has come the first time to show who he is and his power and his might and his ability. He has come to, to ransom for himself a people. So that at his second coming, all of this will unfold. No more thorns. No more difficulty. Especially as that verse began, no more sin. No more sorrow. Here in Psalm 98, the psalm begins that way. Verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He's worked salvation for him. And then again in verse 9. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. And for some that may have seemed like bad news, that he would judge the world in righteousness with, with a right judgment... A judge with all clarity, no bias, and all the facts. If you stand before that judge, you would tremble. You would know if he was to judge with rightness and fairness that the sentence on you and I would be guilty. Guilty. And so for him to judge in rightness, something has to be done with that guilty verdict. Because he says the wages of sin, the, the punishment, the penalty for a guilty judgment against God is death. Separation from God eternally. Hell. So what's to be done? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And he has come, as it said... To let sin and sorrow not grow anymore in you. But instead rejoicing can grow. Because Christ has come to deal with your sin. Before a holy God. Where he, though being innocent. Stood before God. As one who was guilty. Because of my sin. Every single one named. Your sin. He stood before God. And God looked on him. And poured out the right judgment. Separation, death, wrath. 
It was all poured out on Christ on your behalf. And so that's where sin and sorrow go. They were nailed to the cross. And if you believe in it and you cling to it, the sin and sorrow are gone. Does it mean we don't sin? No. Does it mean that sin does not damn us forever? Yes. Because Christ has paid for it. And it breaks our hearts when we sin. When you've come to faith in Christ and then you sin, it ought to break our hearts knowing all that he did for our sin. All that he lived and died and lives again for was so that we might be free from the bondage and the power. And we, we turn from, from our sinful ways and we turn from trusting in ourselves again and again and we cling to him. So that, in that, as we truly believe that good news that the angel announced, there is good news of great joy. The good news is you don't have to try to live for yourself. You don't have to try to bear the weight of righteousness Waiting to, for that trembling day before God where you will still say, I'm guilty. You don't have to. The good news is that Christ has come to stand on your behalf. So that if you trust in him, you're free. Sin and sorrow are, are no more eternally. You don't have to think eternally that I will be in agony. You think I will reign victoriously because Christ has. So that's why we sing joy. The last verse of that hymn reads this. It says, he rules the world with truth and grace. With grace. The grace that we need in our, our tired state, our heavy burdens, our, our messy situations. We need grace. We need to be able to come to him and lay it all before him. Knowing that we're a mess sometimes. And he gives us grace. Love that is not earned. Love that is not deserved. He looks at us and says, you're welcome. Come on in. I love you. I'll care for you. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we've not put on our best dress and, and cleaned up the most and, and tried to get rid of all these 25 things we know are wrong with us. He says, come as you are. And I'll give you rest. It's grace. It's grace. He rules the world with truth. Yes, you and I are sinners. Yes, you and I are guilty. Truth and grace. That those sinners can be forgiven. He rules the world with truth and grace. And the next line of that hymn says, And he makes the nation prove or, or show the glories of his righteousness. His righteousness. When we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, when we come to Jesus and say, I have nothing to bring. I have no way to heaven except through Christ. And I believe that. I believe that he died for me and I, I'm, I can live in him. When we come that way, and people of all the nations, he says he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Because there we're not just forgiven of our sin and now we have a fresh slate in which we need to now become righteous. And acceptable to God. No. He changes places with us. He takes our sin. And it is counted as a criminal before God. And he gives us. He imputes to us. His own righteousness. The life that he lived. In perfection and obedience to God. He counts to us. So the nations prove. And show the glory of his righteousness. That we stand before a righteous God. And he says. Well done. Well done. Why would he ever say that to me? 
or to you. This is well done because of Christ and all that he's doing in and through us. Well done. So the, the nations of all types of people prove they show the glory of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. Why me? Why not that nice person down the street? Why not that person who really makes an effort? Why not that person who's never screwed up the way I did? Wonders of his love. May we never lose the wonder of the cross. That we deserved it not. It was all love. Here in verse 2 of Psalm 98, it says, The Lord has made known his salvation and has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He has remembered his steadfast love. His steadfast love. When you study the Bible looking for that phrase, steadfast love, it is repetitious. The steadfast love of God in the original Hebrew was his covenantal love. And when God makes a covenant and he makes a promise, he never breaks it. So then, that's why our English translators have the best word is steadfast. Steadfast. It never changes. It's not going away. It's unshakable. God's love for you is steadfast. And he remembers the covenant he made. That those who are in Christ, he will welcome into his eternal rest. He remembered his steadfast love. And that love which we think, why? I don't, I don't love God that way. I don't, I don't love him as I should. I fail him. Why would he love me with a steadfast love? A love that, that picks me up when I've failed. When I've, when I've screwed up again, he, he welcomes me in and he carries me home. Why would he love me with such a love? And that's the steadfast love that we resound in our song. Wonder of his steadfast love. And, and as we meditate upon his steadfast love, it, it causes joy. Contentment, assurance. When you meditate on God's steadfast love, it assures you that you're not far beyond his reach. That no matter what you have done, what you will do, God will still love you. It's amazing. And that's what produces joy. Assurance, not that, oh, my life is so shaky and I'm unsure if I'm going to ever get to see heaven or ever have rest or ever get to live this life with any sort of happiness. It's a joy that is deep, a contentment that is lasting, an assurance that is rock solid. Rock solid on his steadfast love. And that's the wonder of his love. It's joy. It produces joy in us, which, yes, at times produces overwhelming happiness. But other times it just produces a contentment in the midst of a dark day where we say, I know God still loves me. I believe that, and that's what's sustaining me. That's joy. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is not about um, earthly possessions and, and always succeeding. In Romans 14, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not material things. 
The kingdom of God is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You rejoice with a joy inexpressible. Inexpressible, which means sometimes it doesn't come out as a song or a happiness or a smile. Sometimes it comes out as a weeping in prayer. Thanksgiving with your life. Offering yourself as a sacrifice for others. What does that joy produce in you? Do you have that joy? Have you thought sometimes that if you're not smiling in this season that your joy is gone? Don't forget what joy is. Don't forget where joy is found. It's found in him. The the angel announced to the shepherds, good news of great joy has come. And their situation didn't change at all. They didn't win the lottery that day. They didn't have to stop sleeping under the stars. But something had changed in their heart, in their life, in their trajectory. It was no longer, I have to keep up with making sure that I'm righteous. It was no longer the sin that plagues me, drives me to despair. Instead, it was salvation, rescue. Like one who is drowning on the bottom of a lake, being plucked out. That's what great joy flows from. And this joy is not momentary. Like some of the things we take joy in in this world or find happiness in, that are momentary. A relationship has its seasons of great happiness and sometimes not. Money comes and goes. Or you feel great, you feel healthy, happy, you got your kids, you're good. What if they're gone? Your health deteriorates, your kids are gone. Then what? Don't place your happiness or joy in circumstantial things. Joy that is found in what he has done for you, that steadfast love that is unshakable, is a joy that is going nowhere. A contentment, a satisfaction, an assurance, a confidence that says, yes, I'm loved. It's going nowhere. Jesus himself says in John chapter 16, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. They can't do that. No one can take Christ from you, and what he has done for you, and what that means for your eternity. They can't take that from you. Whatever situation comes, whatever darkness you face, Your joy can't be robbed away. It can be snuffed and it can be forgotten. That's why we remind each other what joy to the world's all about. What the announcement of good news of great joy is. It's Christ and all that he has done. Let me pray. Oh God, what a great gift it is that you speak to us and you interact with us. We are so undeserving Uh, Because we are rebels against you. We push back every time you say no. And yet, through Christ, we can be forgiven. And not just forgiven one time and and ten times, 
but forever because his sacrifice was sufficient. Thank you for that. Thank you for the love that is steadfast and unshaking, that is not moved because we have moved. Thank you that on our darkest days and in our most gruesome hours, you are there and you love us and you care for us. Even though there is sorrow now, the joy that we have will never be plucked away because what you have done for us in Christ. May each of us in this room at this moment believe that, that our sin could be forgiven, that we could be made right, that when we die, we know where we can go. Not to a place of emptiness or loneliness, but a place of fullness and joy at your right hand where there's pleasures forevermore. Thank you for the gift of Christ who had come, lived for us, died for us, and now lives again at your right hand, praying for us. And so I just pray for each one of us that we would would surrender ourselves to him as our king, that our lives would prove the glories of his righteousness and we would rejoice and sing with a joy inexpressible. Thank you for joy to the world. In Christ's name, amen.